So we're continuing today in our series through the Gospel of John, and we're going to be finishing up chapter 8. And uh, today's sermon title is The Only Way You Will Ever Be Free. Freedom has been a topic of significance to all people of all cultures at all times. Even today, it's a, it's a theme that we, we, we talk about, like, what does it mean to be free? Um, and also for um, Jesus' listeners here, they were very much um, aware of the need for freedom, and they talked about it. The Jewish leaders taught that the uh, the only way to be free was to follow the Ten Commandments, and if you did so, you would experience a free life. But also the Greek philosophers were teaching at the same time many different philosophies on how to experience freedom. And so what we know is that humanity desires freedom, whether that's as a nation, together we want to have freedom to do it our way, or if it's as an individual, like you want to be a free person. Uh, maybe. You remember, uh, maybe in high school, you're like, I just got to be free, right? Like, I got to be free from these parents. Or um, maybe it's a spiritual thing. Maybe you feel some sort of weight uh, upon your soul, and you're not sure what it is, and you want to be free. Maybe it's freedom from anxiety or fear. Maybe it's freedom from stress. Um, Maybe it's freedom from things that are in your past that won't seem to leave you alone. We all seek freedom in the many different um, contexts, but there is only one way to truly be free, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus makes this abundantly clear. So we're going to go ahead and start at verse um, 31 of chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray over this. This is kind of our theme for this sermon today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every person that's here, God. Um, I believe that we all desire freedom. Lord, we, we desire freedom that is real, not temporary, but true freedom. Lord, we look for that inner peace, that, that true spiritual freedom, and Lord, I do believe that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can have this freedom. Lord, I pray that no matter what's going on in each person's life today, whether, um, uh, Lord, Lord, there are so many different types of circumstances. You know every person's heart. You know every person's situation today, what they're going through, what they have been through. Lord, if there are chains that still need to be broken, whatever they may be, Lord, there's so many different types of chains. Lord, I pray that today we would see those chains broken that your Holy Spirit, far beyond any of my words, far, far beyond anything I can say, your Spirit would be working in our hearts to bring us to f- true spiritual freedom that comes through you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in this first part here, we see that Jesus is telling them, those who had believed in him, if you abide, like that's that word for staying, if you stay, if you remain, if you are consistent, In my word, you are truly my disciples. There's kind of an implication here that you're not truly a disciple if you don't stay, right? Jesus is saying, hey, if you are truly um, my disciples, you abide in my word and you abide as a disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it begins kind of as 
being a disciple, abiding in the word, and then in that you will know the truth. And once you know the truth, then you are set free. So the truth here, as Jesus is making it clear, is what sets us free. Now let's keep reading verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I don't know what these uh, Jewish leaders are talking about when they respond this way. It's ridiculous. Like, they either don't have a history book or are lying. <laughs> because when they say we are the offspring of Abraham, okay, let's go back. Since Abraham, the Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Greeks, and currently were enslaved by the Romans. <laughs> okay? So when he says, what are you talking, when they're saying to Jesus, what are you talking about? We've never been enslaved to everyone. Like, they're either delusional, lying, or don't have history books, okay? Uh, it doesn't make any sense um, for them to say that. So Jesus answers them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus doesn't even go, well, okay, have you looked around? Do you see all these centurion-like uh, groups here, the, the centurion officials? you see these Roman guards? Like, are you, are you blind? Like, they're all around us. What do you mean? He doesn't even address the physical uh, dominance that Rome had over them or the fact that they have been enslaved to many other um, nations over their, their history. He doesn't even address that because Jesus doesn't actually care about that. Jesus wants to address the idea of spiritual freedom. And he says, hey, if you practice sin, you're a slave to sin. He doesn't even want to argue with them about the, the history there. It's interesting. Practices is a similar word um, used for profession, right? So we say, oh, that doctor practices medicine. So-and-so practices law. Um, so he's saying here, if you practice, and if this is a, this is a lifestyle, this is a, um, a way of life for you, uh, you are enslaved to it. 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So Jesus wants to transition them from slaves, which he says, if you're practicing sin, you are a slave to sin, and I want to transition you from a slave to a son, to a child of God. And the son remains forever, verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So when I said the only way that you will ever be free, the answer is to that, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We seek out freedom in many different ways. I googled freedom just for the heck of it. Like I was like, hey, how to be free, Google? Can you tell me? Uh, Wiki how, right? Had some ways to be free. Uh, they had three methods, and each of the methods had five steps, but I'll just read to you the uh, three methods. The first way to be free according to Wiki how, becoming your true self. Anybody trying that one? <laughs> the second way to be free according to Wiki how, second method. Being responsible for yourself. Okay. It's a little bit better. Uh, and the third, seizing each day. Now, if you looked at the subpoints below each one of those, uh, becoming your true self is all about, well, just redefine freedom based upon who you already are and, and so forth. Okay, all right. Uh, being responsible for yourself. This one was basically a, a works mindset. Like, work harder. Like, get your life together. You want to be free? Do it. Be free. Like, go work. The third one, seizing each day. 
basically just do whatever you feel. <laughs> it was basically the idea of that one. So I also read a little Huffington Post uh, on how to be set free. And this guy quoted Buddha and Jesus and said that both Buddha and Jesus taught that the only way to be free was to be detached from everything. And then he quoted Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus says, deny thyself. But he only quoted those two words, which I found interesting. Then for the rest of the two pages, he continued to just misquote Jesus and uh, misrepresent everything that Jesus taught. So let's just look at the one verse he actually decided to use. Deny thyself, Matthew 16, 24. I think we have it. It says, uh, then Jesus told his disciples, "If if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A little clarity there, right? It's not just detachment as, as Buddha taught from, from all material things. Detach yourself from relationships. Detach yourself from anything that you could possibly have any emotional or spiritual connection to. Detach yourself from all of those elements so that you are truly free. That, that may be what Buddha taught. It's certainly not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught certainly some detachment from our, our self-absorbed mindset, but it's an attachment to him, right? It's an attachment to the cross. It's an attachment to following him. That's the big difference. True freedom only comes through Jesus. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free. If you're not free, it's because the Son hasn't set you free. Simple as that. If the Son sets you free, you will be free. Let's go back now uh, to John. I mixed up the order of my sermon here. Now i got to scroll around. Just winging it on the spot here. Verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So they had made that argument, hey, we're the children of Abraham. How dare you talk to us like that? And he's like, I know who you are. I know that you're the children of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because... My word finds no place in you. You're not receiving my word. Now, we know from like Romans that the Bible makes a difference between those who were of the physical line of Abraham and the true followers, the true lineage of Abraham, which were the children of faith. Those who believed in God are the true descendants of Abraham. Um, it's, a, it's a position of faith, not blood. Um, to be truly the offspring of Adam, to be children of faith. Father Abraham, right? He's had many sons, right? I am one of them, so are you. That's the idea there. We are children of faith. Abraham was the father of, of faith and, um, as it pertains to, to um, us following Christ. Abraham was the first to receive these prophecies that all brought about Jesus and the cross, um, and it's a beautiful thing. Let's keep reading verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. 
They said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Okay, so they get into a discourse here. They get into a little bit of an argument. Um, basically, Jesus saying, If you're really the true children of Abraham, the children of faith, as we talked about, then you wouldn't be doing these types of works like trying to kill me. Um, and they're like, no, we are really the children of Abraham. And then they basically diss Jesus here. We were not born of sexual immorality like you and your s slutty mom. <laughs> like that's basically what they're saying there is they're hinting at like, hey, jab, jab, you came out of um, a mom who slept around. Um, so they got personal there with Jesus. Jesus still is trying to make a point that there's two types of children, spiritual and physical. 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> He's been saying that my father is in heaven, and he's like, your father is the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires, the devil. So he's, he's clearly calling them evil here. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the, law, and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? So a few things here in this passage. The first is when he's calling them, you know, Satan followers, uh, that their father is Satan, and who's full of lies. And then he brings up this, this element here about murder. He says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. And there's no truth in him. Then he continues to, when he lies. But in the Greek, um, it doesn't get translated very well into the English. But in the Greek, it's really talking about a singular lie that he tells often. So it's lies, but it's not talking about plural lies. It's talking about a singular lie. And that has to do with the murder of Jesus. The devil is against Jesus, and he is going to take Jesus to that cross and defeat Jesus. This is the lie of Satan, that there, there is no power in the cross, that there is no power in the work of Jesus Christ. This is the lie that Satan tells often. The plurality is in the ways he tells it and how often he tells it, but there is one singular lie that Satan is concerned with, that Jesus and the cross mean nothing. And we've seen through history that lie come about in many different ways, many cults. Um, you know, you, if you go to other parts of the world, you go to um, Nepal's in Nepal, you talk to the Buddhists and the Hindus, and they both include Jesus in their religion. But there is no power in the cross in their version of Jesus. There's no power in what Jesus did on the cross when they include him in their religion. Jesus is the main character of the Quran, believe it or not. But there is no power in the cross in the Quran. You look at the cults, they always strip the power of the grace that Jesus accomplished on the cross every time. It's the same lie of Satan told over and over and over in many different ways. 
that there is no power in the cross, that Satan, you know, he, he, he feels victorious in that. He feels victorious in that he defeated Jesus at the cross there, and that is his lie that Jesus did not accomplish all at the cross. Then Jesus says that he's telling them the truth, that they need to listen. He says, and also, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? John 8, 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Again, in, in the language, it's a suggestion of continually hears the word of God. Consistently hears the word of God. This idea of consistently listening. Listening continually listening. Let me ask you, do you continually listen to the word of God? Is the word of God your main source of direction? Is it your main influence? This is the idea here that this verse carries. Whoever is of God hears the words of God continually. It's in, um, in that sense. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? Now, if you remember to uh, John chapter 4, we talked a lot about the Samaritans. They were basically this offshoot of Judaism, and because of their beliefs, they became a, like a basically ethno-religious group. So they were distanced from the Jews because of their doctrines, which turned them into their own people group over time and they hated the Samaritans and so right here they're just slamming Jesus they're like are you a Samaritan or maybe have a demon and honestly like for them in in, in their culture I don't know which one is a worse insult to call him a Samaritan or demon possessed because they probably view them about equally bad Jesus replies I do not have a demon but I honor my father and you dishonor me Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Oh, man. <laughs> He's like, I'm not seeking my own glory. There is one, God the Father, who seeks my glory, and guess what? He's judge. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting thought when people say, only God can judge me. Have you ever seen, like, those memes where it's like, and that should scare you? You seen those? <laughs> It's like somebody's like, oh, there's a meme, and it's like, only God can judge me, and there's like, I can't remember which face it is, but it's like, and that should scare you. <laughs> Jesus here is saying, hey, there is a judge whose goal is to glorify me, and he is judge. He is the judge, the Father. 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Death, as Jesus teaches it, is not just um, breathing your last. It's not just exhaling that last breath. Death, according to Jesus, and what he teaches throughout the Gospels, is that it's a dark, eternal, awful place full of fire. That's the death that Jesus teaches of. And in verse 52, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? 
Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? Is their question to Jesus. Who do you think you are? And you know what? That is the most important question any of us can ever ask. Who is Jesus? Who we think of Jesus truly defines who we are. We are either children of the devil or we are children of God based upon what we think about Jesus. So when they're asking Jesus, who, who do you think you are? Who do you make yourself out to be? That is actually, even though it's not a sincere question, the most important question they could be asking. Who are you? And if they would listen, they would know the truth and they would be set free. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. I love that. But you... But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. A lot to unpack there. Okay. Has anybody ever tried to guess your age? Never. Anybody? How often are like they accurate? Raise your hand if like when people guess your their your age, you're, they're fairly accurate. Nobody? No one? Yeah. Okay. How many of you when they people guess your age, it's like totally off, right? Is it off? Raise your hand if it's off more than five years. Okay, all right. More than 10? Yeah? More than, tw- more than 20 years? <laughs> Your students? Uh, more than 20 years off. So it's interesting. Jesus here is 32, maybe? And they're guessing his age, saying, you're not even 50? <laughs> like, that, how insulting that would be for Jesus. Like, hey, hold on. Like, he doesn't even address it. I would have addressed it. Wait a second. You think that I'm 50? (laughs) I wonder. I wonder if because of the life that Jesus lived, you know, we see him all the time throughout the Gospels praying all night. Like, he's not a guy who sleeps a lot. He's a guy who was continually surfing. He also worked manual labor his whole life as as a carpenter. I wonder if he really did look a lot older and maybe even frailer than he really was because of the consistent service that he had. Who knows? I just wonder if he looked frail, tired, exhausted because of the amount of service he put forward. Jesus answered those. It's just funny. I mean, he's like, I, I did see Abraham, but before Abraham, I am which we talked about last week because he said um, the same thing twice. That he is the I am. When Moses, speaking to God through the, the, the burning bush, and he said, who shall I say sent me? It's I am. God doesn't even need a name. He just is God. 
I am. I am what? Everything. Like, the center of it all, the creator of it all. I am. So when he says, they're like, hey, like, are you maybe 50? That's not nearly old enough to have seen Abraham by, you know, several hundred years. Uh, I mean, we're talking, yeah, more than that. But he doesn't even address it. He's like, no, I'm way older than that, dude. I am. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And they know that he's claiming to be God because they immediately pick up stones to throw at him. But Jesus ninja moves his way out of there, as he often does. I seriously, I, when a whole crowd is staring at you to kill you, how do you get out of there every time? Wow. You've got to learn that one. Like the one like miracle that every missionary should pray for is Jesus ninja moves, right? Like the way to like out of a crowd every time. It's like, we're going to pick up stones to kill you. And he's like, no, you're not. So they want to kill him because he claims to be God there. Yesterday, um, Melissa like just gave me an awesome Father's Day. She got me like a little mini fridge for the garage with like a ping pong table. She bought me a ping pong table. Pretty awesome. Uh, great Father's Day. And so we put the we were like putting together the ping pong table and all this stuff. And like, I think we're done with it. And uh, I was upstairs and I was like what are those, like, really nice dressed people out there? I was like, it's, like, too late for prom. What are they? Because the kid looked really young. I was like, it's too late for prom. Melissa was like, I think they're Jehovah Witnesses. And I was like, oh, and they're on the other side of the street. I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, yes, what a perfect addition to Father's Day. I get to talk to some Jehovah Witnesses. So I waited about 15 minutes or so, maybe 30 minutes, and they did come around to our side of the street, and they knocked on our door. I was like, yes. So I went out there and I talked to them. I invited them in. They didn't want to come in. Uh, they were specifically looking for Spanish speakers because they only had the Spanish magazines, the, the Watchtower magazines. They only had the Spanish ones. But so I would, I'm not a Spanish speaker. But I was like, well, I want to talk anyways. And, <laughs> and so we talked for a little while. They wouldn't come inside, so we talked on the porch. And uh, I took them to that verse. I took them to John 8. And I talked to them. Jesus here is clearly stating his deity. He does it three times in John 8. How can you claim to believe in John 8? I was like, and I know that your translation has changes to it, but it doesn't even have these changes. Even your Bible says that Jesus is divine in this chapter. Um, he had some issues with it. He didn't want to talk too much longer. Um, and he wouldn't let me pray for him either. So they don't tend to like you to pray for him. Mormons will pray for you, will pray with you, but Jehovah's Witnesses tend not to. But it's so clear here that Jesus is speaking of his divinity. And it's in that that we know that he has the authority to set us free. There's no question there. When we know who Jesus truly is, that he is divine, that he is the great I am, that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, we know that he has authority to set us free, and it is only by turning to him that we can have freedom, because that's what he said. And he's God. And he says, the only way you will ever experience freedom is if I set you free. 
And that is exactly what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. He purchased us with his blood because we owed a debt because of our sin. And we all were children of the devil because of our sin. But Jesus Christ purchased us. If we receive Jesus, we are set free. I want to read another verse here. Acts 13, 38 says this. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Through Jesus, there is freedom from every sin. Isn't that good news? Every sin. Not some sins. Every sin through Jesus Christ, we can experience freedom. And guess what? There is no other way to attain it. We are not able to attain it under the law of Moses. We are not able to attain true spiritual freedom by seizing the day. We are not able to attain spiritual freedom by becoming our true selves or being responsible with our lives. We are not able to experience true freedom by detaching ourselves from things. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can experience true freedom. So what do we do? Just simply rely and trust in him. That's it. If you have a sin, you have an issue in your life, you take it to Jesus. He's the only one who can set you free. I don't care how hard you work at it. You won't be able to do it. It is only in the hands of Jesus that there is freedom. If there are things, fear, anxiety, the past, whatever it may be that you feel still has you chained up. It is only in the hands of Jesus that you have freedom. Amen? You guys, this is the very heart of the gospel. It's the heart of our church. Our mission statement is that we would help people experience life-changing freedom through the love and truth of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. It's why we do what we do. Whoever is here, to whatever extent they need freedom, we want to help them experience it. But we don't actually have the ability to set people free. It is only through the love and truth of Jesus Christ. Right? We're just messengers. A couple things. That's an incredible weight lifted when we know that we can't fix people's problems and it's only in Jesus' hand, it's an incredible weight lifted. Because don't we try sometimes to fix people's problems for them? We do, right? Have you ever tried that? But at the end of the day, you might find yourself limited, right? We can trust Jesus and turn it over to Jesus and turn them over to Jesus and simply say, turn to Jesus. There's freedom there. But the other side of it is that it, the Bible says that we're ambassadors of this message, that we are to represent it well. 
And that's the other side of it. We, we can't make the decision for people, but we are still responsible to share with them. We're still responsible to represent Christ well. Now, the difficult thing is it's hard to represent Christ well if you yourself aren't experiencing freedom. If maybe, like Paul talks about, going back to the old. Or Paul even says, I, sometimes I don't do the things that I want to do. I find myself doing the things that I ought not to do. It's difficult to be a solid representation of Jesus, an ambassador of Christ, when we ourselves still have things that we're chained up to. So what do we do? We turn it over to Jesus. Do you work harder? Try harder? Turn to the law? No, we turn to Jesus continually. And you know that part of that is that we are here to help, help people, including us, experience life-changing freedom. If there is an area of your life that you're not experiencing life-changing freedom, that's what the body of Christ is for, to help you. To help you live in the reality that is already true about you because Jesus said it is finished on the cross. He accomplished it on the cross. Now we live in it, we walk in it. And that's what the body of Christ is for, is to help one another grow in the freedom that we already have obtained. And then to spread the good news about that freedom to the world. Starting right here with Austin, Texas. How many of you are excited about freedom today? Come on. Yeah? I'm going to do something different today. I think we have time, right? We got time? Right? I know Alan, Alan wanted me to end early so that he could watch the game. <laughs> Mexico. World Cup. I care so little about the World Cup that since U.S. is not in it. <laughs> like, how did we not get into the World Cup? Oh, man. Okay, so we're going to do something today uh, different. We have a small group. Do we have any questions about freedom? I know I've never, we don't normally open it up. A story to share, questions to ask. It's not just the Steven show. Like, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> it's free, buddy. Free indeed. <laughs> just like the breakfast tacos. Free. Any questions? No? Any cool stories about freedom? You guys just want to watch the World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, looking so it'd be looking forward to the cross. Yeah. So God's word, because God is outside of time, when God says something will happen, it already has. In his, in his way of, of working. So if, if uh, God says, hey, there, there is freedom by obeying my promises, believing in my promises, sorry, uh, then you have experienced that freedom. So Moses was righteous, not because of his works, Romans says, but because of his faith in the promises of God. So the promises that God gave Moses, or sorry, Abraham were um, symbolic of the work that Christ would do. And it's his faith in that that gave Moses righteousness and freedom. And so looking forward to 
the cross through the sacrifices, through, um, for example, like Abraham, um, the most important thing that Abraham did was when God said to him, take your son Isaac, the one that I promised to you, and go take him up to the mount and sacrifice him. All right? Everybody's favorite passage. Talking, especially when you're Father's Day, let's talk about like murdering our sons. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Abraham takes him up there in faith. And we know from Hebrews that it says that Abraham believed that if in God's promise so much that he knew that if, if he truly had to go through this, that God would raise Isaac from the dead because God promised a lineage through Isaac. Abraham's, I keep wanting to say Moses, Abraham's faith in God was so strong and so strong in his promises that he believed that, all right, if you're going to ask me to kill Isaac, you're going to raise him from the dead because I know your promises are true. And then we know that God was testing Abraham's faith. God provides a ram. And it's interesting, that's Genesis 22. It's the first time that love is mentioned in the Bible, the first time that lamb is mentioned in the Bible, and it's all representation of Jesus Christ in Genesis 22 right there. And in fact, it takes place on the same mount. I believe it's Mount Moriah. It's called there in Genesis 22. We know that is the same place of Golgotha or Calvary where Jesus was crucified. So it's a clear symbol of Jesus um, being the son who, who would be slain. Any other questions, thoughts, stories? Jay? True freedom politically, yeah. The righteousness, yeah. 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 Yeah, aren't we glad that, like, Jesus didn't come to just destroy the Romans? Because the Romans took themselves down. Like, we didn't need that. <laughs> right? We needed spiritual freedom. Amen? 
And that's what Jesus came. That's what he's, he's continually putting them uh, towards. He's he, pushing them towards this. Hey, it's not about the political stuff. It's not just about the physical freedom from one government. I've come to do something so much bigger, so much greater, which is your spiritual freedom to bring about true freedom from sin. That's awesome. Any other questions? Thoughts? Between the message and the reality of experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Like the things that come to my mind immediately are just the hunger and thirsting for God's word, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, right? Because w- we don't need religion. Religion comes with guilt, it comes with work, it comes from with a lot of effort, and we don't need that. Like, it doesn't save us. Um, when we're truly experiencing freedom, what accompanies that, I believe, is this hunger and thirst for God and for the things that are good. And, and something in us now changes in, in what we desire. Something changes us in what we're pursuing, what we're focusing on. Um, we know what it means to be hungry or, or, or thirsty for, for food and water, but also for things in life, right? We know what it is to have a, like, a drive, a hunger for, for success or for a business or whatever it is. But I believe true spiritual freedom, we see that in people when there's a hunger for just God. Like, I just want to be close to him. I want to know him. I want a relationship with him. And then as we're in that, we're also hungry and thirsty for the things of God rather than the things of the world. And, um, of course, it's not that we don't ever slip up. But there's a shift in our desire and a shift in, in, in what we hunger and thirst for. One last question. Anybody? Yeah. And it's a sin that is so much easier to justify, right? Because you're the victim in the in the situation. Mm-hmm. 
really good yeah there's a there's a, a really important element of freedom there too is um not letting the past or or hurt or any of that cause us to be chained up ourselves when we're not even the ones who initiated that that pain um that's really good okay all right well i'll close us in prayer and then we'll do a couple more songs of worship heavenly father thank you so much for everything that you teach us and you have shown us in your word, everything that you desire still to do in our lives, Lord. Um, thank you. You love us. You love us so much. Wow, Lord. Your love is, is never ending. Your forgiveness is never ending. Lord, you desire, your true desire for us is to experience life-changing freedom. Lord, if, if there are areas in people's lives here today, Lord, let us surrender to you. Let us turn to you. Only if you set us free can we truly be free. We can't do it ourselves. We can't find it anywhere else. God, can we, can we all humble ourselves and truly turn everything to you? Lord, if there's anything we're blind to, Lord, reveal it to our hearts so that we can confess it, repent, and surrender to you. Jesus, I pray that every person in here would feel loved by you. Lord, you are the judge. But you came to step in in our place. That's what's amazing, Lord. That you give the grace. You give the mercy. You took our place. That's beautiful. So, Jesus, thank you. Help us. We need you so much. Send your spirit, Lord, to work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.